This show is brought to you by The North Face. Now, The North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Hi everybody, Lisa Tamani here at Pushing the Limits and thank you once again for giving me your precious time. I really appreciate you listening into the show every week. I uh, try to provide you with really inspirational, amazing uh, people on the show and this week I have a really amazing woman who's absolutely blown me away. Now I met this lady just last week when I was speaking in Queenstown at a woman's uh, conference symposium that we had down there. And she was one of the other speakers. And I've heard a lot of speakers in my life. You know, I, I go to conferences constantly. I'm speaking circuit everywhere. And I have never shed so many tears, laughed so much, and been so impressed with any speaker. So I would just like to welcome an incredible woman to the show. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time today to be with us, Di Foster. Di, how are you? How are you? I'm peachy. Thank you so much for asking. And thank you for your kind words. Oh no, all well deserved, all well deserved. Now Di, like, where the heck do we dive in in your incredible story? Because what, what impressed me so much last week, tell the audience you were diagnosed with terminal cancer. We'll start there. But okay. the way you unfolded your story was amazing. Yeah, and I guess we kind of, you know, in this format we do a little bit of a short version. Yeah. You know, so, so that's cool. We'll just dive in. So eight years ago I was diagnosed with terminal secondary breast cancer metastasized in my lungs, mm -hmm. given a life expectancy of 12 months with a 0% chance of 18 months plus. And it was suggested that I go home and put my affairs in order. That must have been a, like a, like what age were you there? I was 38. 38 years old. You've just been yeah. told, out of the blue, you've got 12 minutes, months to live, basically. And, and and who told you this? Like, who was this Who was this person? That story was funny. So this funny little oncology man was sitting in front of me, and I, I just, you know how you can hear people talking, but you kind of zone out on some level? And my mother would say that I literally wake up in the morning just to hear what I have to say. So... <laughs> So it was incredible that in that moment, instead of listening to him or just rabbiting on and listening to myself, I actually listened to my own heart. And I heard a whisper and I thought, man, there is some gold in this and I need to listen. Because if I only have 365 days, then I want to make sure that they are my 365 days on my terms 
my way. So, you know, although he could offer me palliative care chemo, and, you know, I did read the um, side effects of palliative care chemo that he was offering, and the fourth one down was death. And I was thinking, I'm not quite sure I'm up for that just at the moment. (laughs) So um, I listened to my heart, and I heard three things. I heard be happy, go natural, and be grateful. And so I embarked on a journey which I thought would only be 365 days long, just living my best values. Yeah, So, but you cannot really, like, I mean, it's all very well, like, I'm going to live my life, like, every day is my last day type mentality, and all, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to... But how do you actually do that on a day-to-day basis when you wake up and, and, and death is staring you in the face every day? Well, I had a bit of a conversation with death because it, when I left that oncology room, I felt like there was this cloud following me around. So one day I'd had enough of it, and I turned and said, hey, death, it's time we had a chat. <laughs> and, um, and what I realised from that conversation is that I'm not afraid to die. We are all going to die one day. But what I'm incredibly fearful of is not taking advantage of this very day that I do have. And while I understand your question in that, you know, how do you not worry about it? Like, how do you not? Well, here's the thing. We're all going to die one day. And I decided that it was not really my business when I was going to die. And it certainly had nothing to do with that funny little oncology man. (laughs) I mean, if my life contract was with somebody, it wasn't going to be with somebody in sandals, long socks and walking shorts. He was going to be far more stylish than that. And so... I just connected. I just connected with myself and thought, you know, I realized because I'd already been through treatment. I'd already done chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and surgery seven years before this. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't want to do it again. And I always knew that. Yeah. And so I just thought, you know, I knew that I would sooner have 365 days my way yep. than 10 years somebody else's. That's, that's incredibly powerful. So what did you set out to do on this journey? Because, you know, I mean, you've been through it once before, seven years earlier, so probably you're, you know, like more advanced than most of us if we were landed with with this diagnosis. But how do you deal with the baggage that you still got so that you can actually, you know, did you start to go and research everything and try to, you said, go natural? You you didn't just accept the fact that you were meant to die in tw- in three hundred sixty five days. You no. Didn't that. So so two things. One, I didn't Google a thing. I became so connected with my own heart, and in doing so, I became so connected in the moment that I was in. So when you say go off and be happy, what I discovered really quickly is that you can't actually be happy for three hundred sixty five days, but you can be in the moment. You can be present to your own feelings and own emotions. And I guess that's part of the, the second answer. You, you asked me um, what did I? What was my intention? What did I think I could go and do? Well, my only interest at that point was to reduce my symptoms so that I could have better quality of life. Yep. So at the time I had a complete collapsed lung and my other lung had some activity in it. So my level of restrictive breathing was quite high. And um, I'd been an asthmatic for 30 years, an exercise-induced asthmatic. So um, I just thought maybe I could just reduce my symptoms and then I'd have a better quality of life for my 365 days. And what happened within about four months was that my lung had reinflated and I was getting rid of some stuff off my lungs and a whole lot of healing stuff was actually happening. 
that I thought maybe I could just get five years. Wow. And But here was the deal I made with, with the big guy upstairs and with death. I said, I will come with ease and grace on the day that I meant to, but just give me some space to live in, in today. Yeah. And so I, the other thing is I had a relationship with my cancer. I didn't fight it. I was like, my body has created this. It is possible for my body to uncreate it. Yep. But I never demanded that of it. I said, hey, look, if you could give me some more room, that would be awesome because I quite like breathing. <laughs> so if you could just give me some more space, that would be awesome. And literally what happened is I just kept getting better and better and better. That, you know, I just, after that 365 days, I thought, right, what am I going to do now? Still alive. so good. Yeah. And, and not only alive, but incredibly vibrant and well. Like, we're not talking, like, at the end of the 365 days, I was buzzy, happy, working full-time, training like I normally did because wow. I've done martial arts for 23 years. Yeah. So I, I wasn't just well, I was vibrant. You were absolutely, yeah, because you're a, a, what are you, a third dan black belt in, yeah. in which, which art? Sado Karate. Sado Karate. <laughs> Tough ass, in other words. <laughs> and... and and you, I remember you telling the story of going for your second arm black belt. I think at the time when you were just, you were, you were still sick. You were still very sick anyway. At that no, time. actually, that's um, I'd actually just had Jackson. So at the end of my three hundred sixty-five days, I did think, you know, what's next? So um, my husband and I, he turned and said to me, "God, you're a pain in the ass again." And I said, "I know. I, I reckon I'm fine." And he said, "I think you are too, sweetie." And I said, well, let's have a baby. You know, you've got six weeks. I'm not having kids after I'm 40, so let's rock one of those out. <laughs> and what she did point out to me that we'd just been through 4,500 earthquakes. We had 11 insurance claims open. We were living at our sis my sister's. We oh relocated two businesses. It just went on and on. All these reasons why maybe it wasn't a great idea. But I said to him, don't worry, we've got a weekend away in Akira and we can take care of business. <laughs> in one weekend. I mean, like, you so say, you've just been through the Christchurch earthquake. <laughs> You've got a, still got a terminal illness, apparently. Yeah. You, know, you haven't been cleared by anybody. No. You're 39, you know, so, you know, and, and you got you tell them you want a baby. You don't yeah. even know whether you're going to be alive with this baby. <laughs> what, what an incredible man. A, what an incredible man. I, what an amazing man. <laughs> Look, let's take our head off to that man for a moment because I'm not sure I would have signed up for that. No. And I, I, I guess that, that illustrates the level of of connection that we both had with my journey because I did take myself out of the medical system and I just intuitively did my journey. Oh, you know, and I, I um, the, some of the listeners will know I've had two journeys, one with my mum and one with uh, my own health last year when I had a whole lot of tumours in my, my lady bits and massive, massive blood loss and, you know, I was told you need a hysterectomy and you need it now because you're going to die of blood loss because I was having transfusions every week. I was, the blood was, the blood loss was so severe. And I, I, I did do the Google thing because that's my way of controlling situations that are, that are uncontrollable is to research, research, research. And the upshot of that was six months later, even though they told me there was no possible way to keep my uterus, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and that's the point. We all do our intuition in different ways. So you do it via research. And I think the thing with me is that um, it's not that I don't Google things, because I, I do, but in this situation it was so overwhelming that I didn't. Oh, yeah. And I, 
I think the reason for that was that I had lost so much control. What I chose to control was the way I felt about it. And so my way of gaining control was being in the moment. Yeah, I totally get that. And I totally get the fact that it is overwhelming when you start looking at everything that's out there and there's a lot of bullshit out there as well as good stuff out there. It is, you know, there is there is so much more than what the local doctors, you know, fraternity can actually offer us here in New Zealand with the money that they got, with the drug companies, the way that they control everything, etc., etc. Um, so I'm all about looking at other things overseas, the advances in technology, because the, the stuff that's happening in the last five years, you know, a lot of the doctors that went to, you know, medical school and have been a specialist for thirty years, they hang on, they're not even up with the latest. I know they keep reschooling, but they're not up with the latest stuff. And I was, in my case, with mum and with me, I was prepared to risk some therapies too, you know, and to take some risks uh, that didn't have the clinical studies for 30 years' worth of scientific studies done on it. And that was a calculated risk that I've taken, and I'm glad I did. I think that's a really interesting point, because um, N equals 1. We are our own experiment, and we are also our own best doctor. And I couldn't agree with you more on the advances that have happened. However, you know, and let's talk about this for a moment. However, still our best treatment or course of action is preventative. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like so many people, you know, they'll come to a pink ribbon breakfast and they'll give money and they'll say, see, I'm participating. And then, you know, they're not prepared to do anything in their own daily life. And, you know, as women, you know, there is just, there, whether we like it or not, and I'll just stand on my soapbox for a moment, yeah. I'm not suggesting for one second that I don't drink alcohol from time to time or have a wine. But, you know, drinking two or three glasses of wine every day is just not going to lead anywhere near a happy place. Yep. And the other thing that I find really interesting is, we need to take responsibility for our own health because a lot of the studies are men, are based on men, and we are entirely different with our hormone system because we are amazing and can grow babies. And we need to realise that just because something's okay for a man doesn't mean that it's okay for us. Hey, men, sister, I love it. <laughs> hearing that because we are, and a lot of the you know the, the way studies have done and the way everything there is a, a bias, an, an unintentional perhaps bias, but there is a, a not taking into consideration the, the the different mechanisms that we have going on a lot of the time. Um, so true. So you know, I I think that we, I mean, I this is my soapbox too. We have to take control, like you know, with mum's situation or as my situation. It was up to me to go and point and go. Well, why did these tumours come? What did I do wrong? Where did this come from? So I went and you know dig deep, and I and I had a whole lot of tests done, and God knows what I did. And I I started to understand what was going on with my kidneys and my thyroid and my hormone system and why. And and I made my own picture uh, after my own research, whether it's correct, 100% not a medical doctor, obviously. But I came to the conclusions, you know, that that I'd done some damage to the kidneys, that I wasn't detoxing properly, that my hormones were recycling, that I was creating these tumors. Okay, so I know that now. So what can I do about it? So then I went and, you know, and I go and and I do everything as best as I can. Like you, I love wine and I like chocolate. Um, so those are sometimes non-negotiables because I want to live as well. I also exercise properly every day, you know, or five days a week. 
I, I eat relatively well. I, I, you know, I try to take my time out. I try to do what I can in order to control the variables. And I think that that is crucial. And I think that's really interesting because um, one of my favourite sayings when I was, you know, trying to really nail my diet 100% was nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. <laughs> and people will say to me, you eat some weird shit. And I'm like, yeah, I do. But you know what? Nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. And that that's my new pinnacle point. You know, that's my that's my new baseline is that, you know, that's where we're at. And also the other thing that I really identify with is that you cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. No. And while we talk about like having it. a wine or some chocolate, that's fantastic. But that's, you know, that might be still mean that your diet's 90%. On a good day. Or if you can aim for that. <laughs> we'll aim for that. But, yeah, I, exactly. We, we try to take control as much as we can take control and make sure that we're putting good things. I mean, I'll do things like I'll get up and have a big smoothie that's got spinach and celery and ginger and turmeric and all mixed in, like all the fibre, and I'll drink that. It's awful, and then I'll have a piece of chocolate on top of it. <laughs> And you know what, it's how, that, that's you, do you know what I mean, because you're slightly extreme. Yes. So the point is that also it's how you think about that. Yeah. So when you put that chocolate in your mouth, you make sure that you're telling every cell in your body that it is actually doing you good. It is doing your soul good. And I think that's the other part of it is that if you carry around that chocolate with you, like I'm really bad, I shouldn't have eaten that chocolate, it's really bad for me, if you keep repeating that story in your head, then that's just as, that's worse than eating the chocolate in the first place. Yeah, absolutely, because it causes all the stress. That's, that's fascinating to me, just that whole, um, that theory behind, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, yep. I think, are fascinating. So in terms of, you know, it's not about, you know, you might have a thought, but then you take that thought and you turn it into a paragraph, and then you take that paragraph and turn it into a massive story, and, you know, it's, you, you create this big link, you know, link to it, instead of just allowing that negative thought or that thought to just pass you Flow by. And get, get it gone as quickly as possible. And I'm sorry, people, my dad's decided to start the chainsaw outside, which is just typical. <laughs> but we'll go with the flow because that's life, isn't it? He's also pulling faces at me, which is even funnier. That, that was my brother, actually, at the oh. window, being, a, being an idiot. Yeah, um, so please ignore my family. <laughs> but, um, that's you know, that's the way life goes here, around here. But, yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I think, so you, let's go back to your story a little bit. So you told your husband you want a baby in the next six weeks, and bang, you got pregnant like that, despite the fact that you had cancer. I mean, I've been yeah. trying for bloody years, lady, and I can't get pregnant. Now I'm too old, so, so we're going down another route. We're trying to trying to find a, a, a wonderful surrogate mum at the moment, um, which is a hell of a journey as well. You know, like so, you just got pregnant like just like that, one week oh, off. Yeah, no, there were some critical key ingredients. Now you need to listen to this. Mm -hmm. There was dark chocolate. <laughs> God, there one. was a bottle of port every night, <laughs> <laughs> and there was taking care of business. Yes. Yes. I, I am flippant about it. We had tried before I was unwell. We had tried for some time. So I literally just, we went away on this weekend. We had three nights away. We literally just dark chocolate poured and took wow. care of business. And I came back feeling seasick and yeah. I was pregnant. Wow. I checked two weeks later. Couldn't it, believe it. It's so beautiful. 
so you went from having this, you know, a year earlier having this diagnosis, you're not going to be even around in a year, and a year later you're actually pregnant with your first child at the age of 40, just turning 40. Yeah. Um, and then you had your beautiful Jackson, who I've seen I photos mean, of. Oh, uh, he, and yeah, and you know, now I look back and think, what was I thinking? Yeah. Like, could I not have had a year off and just took a breath? But no, I was straight into having a child. And it's just been an incredible, um, an incredible journey. And my husband has um, really stepped up and just been an incredible father where we co-parent very beautifully. And I just couldn't be proud of our little family together. Oh, it's just beautiful. It, it, but you must have been so frightened that you wouldn't be there for your baby in a year's time, that you were bringing in this little creature who needs its mummy into the world and then perhaps you weren't going to be around to be mum. So this is when I Googled. <laughs> I Googled amazing people that mothers passed away at a very early age. I Googled them so I knew that if anything happened to me, my son would be okay. Awesome. Because <laughs> I did worry about four months when I was about four months pregnant, I thought, what have I done? And I realized that, you know, I'm kind of, sometimes I check out the worst case scenarios so that I can see if I can live with them. All of them resulted in death, but that was okay. Um, you know, just saying. So the first one was, um, you know, we might die together. I might not get to deliver him to the world. And I thought, well, wow, that'd be cool. You know, you don't often get to die with somebody. So that would, and I felt really sorry for my husband if that happened. I thought, that'd be a bit of shit for him. Rather. Um, <laughs> and um, then I thought, well, if I do deliver this child to the world, that will be my gift. Yeah. And, you know, that that's okay. Maybe that's all I meant to do. And then I, when I was pregnant, I thought, I just, fingers crossed, hoped that I could see his first birthday. And when he was about six months, I thought, screw that. I'm going for 25th. <laughs> I'm going for his 25th birthday. No problem oh, at all. Oh, so beautiful. And now, how old is Jackson now? Jackson's six and a half. So a couple of years ago, I did get a little bit curious. So once I had Jackson, about three months later, I was asked to do my second darn black belt. And I thought, crikey, all my bits aren't quite in the right, back in the right place yet. I'm not sure I'm up for that. But I went and had a CT scan, and it showed that my lungs were looking pretty good. Wow. And um, I did do my grading, but I, I postponed it for about six months, and then I did it. And then as Jackson was getting older, I um, I had a bit of a chest infection, and, and once I cleared that, I thought, you know what, I just I don't want to be on tender hooks every time I don't feel well. So I went and got a CT scan, and it showed that I had no sign of disease on my lungs, which in the short wow. version for your listeners is that I've experienced a radical remission which means that I've had absolutely no medical intervention and my body has naturally, innately healed. Dealt with it. And this was a yeah. fascinating part of your talk last week when I heard that because the next question was, was how do you bring that about in other, for other people? You know, everyone, like, there's, you know, there's so many people going through a cancer journey right now and there's going to be more with all the environmental crap that we're exposed to. How the hell did you do that? Well, it's it's interesting. In, in hindsight, I actually read a book called The Radical Remission. Yeah. And um, the fascinating thing about that is because the medical profession don't want to know anything about me or, you know, what I've done. And so I found it fascinating. I was thinking, well, surely there must be other people like me. And there is. And a beautiful woman has um, researched us, and she's found that we all have nine key factors in common. And I found that quite fascinating. And yeah. I think that that is an incredible place to start. And so what just, are the nine? I mean, let's just go through that list a little bit because I'm sure a lot of people want to know what is it that makes you healthy or what can you do if you get a diagnosis like this? 
The first thing I'd say is that a holistic innate journey is like a moving, rotating puzzle that just, it's not like a two-dimensional puzzle where if you put all the pieces down, it's solved. It kind of is fluid. So you have to, you have to have a fluidity about it. So the first one of the nine things is radically changing your diet. Now, if we were to hit a couple of key points, the first key point would be, you know, one way or another, you have to get back down to basics of whole food. That would be my first sort of port of call. Okay. Um, the second thing is taking control of your health. So for some of us, that is removing ourselves from the, well, for everyone in this study, we moved, removed ourselves from the medical system yep, yep. and we worked out what we had control of and what we wanted to do. Yep. Uh, the third one is follow your intuition, which I love. Yeah. Because that, that to me is a massive, massive part in it. Because there is no point doing something that doesn't feel right. Number four is using herbs and supplements, which every day I supplement my diet. So, yep. Number five is releasing suppressed emotions. Now, this is really interesting because you, you touched on this before and we didn't really talk about it. There was no stone for me unturned. Anything that had happened in my life that I thought might have a suppressed emotion, I brought that bugger up and I dealt with it. Right. Everything. Anything. Do you think and that if was I, key? Do you think that was key? Oh, your body is like an, an energetic field. So if you're holding on to any of that stuff, it just it will just keep coming up. It'll come layer after layer. So you have in my opinion, you've got to dive deep deep into that stuff and deal with what the stories you've been telling yourself, the story that you thought it it you know, that, that it meant. What else could this mean? What else could this mean? Yep. Tell yourself a different story. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I, the question I have, though, around, you know, working on your own mindset, because I, I love everything mindset and motivation and, and controlling your own, making sure that your brain doesn't rule you. But how do you know that you've released those suppressed emotions? When you get to a point, like, you know, we all have these stories and this history and issues that we've dealt with. And how do I know I've intellectually gone through a lot of the processes of thinking, well, you know, this happened to me as a child and therefore I did this and became that and thought like this. And I've intellectually worked that through. But how do I know I'm, I've st I haven't, it's still not controlling me in the subconscious level? Anything that triggers you. So emotionally. Anything. Yep. yep. Anything, you've got to get in tune with your body. And when somebody says someone's name, if you go, oh, and have a cringe moment, even if it's just internally, you've got some suppressed emotion. Yeah. Any sort of reaction within your body to anybody's name or a situation or, you know, go back through your life and jot down, do a tree of everything that's happened and go back and, and have a look at, the, look at it. Does it bring up anything? Do you feel it in your stomach? How do you move that on? And, like, I'm talking about really go back through your life and look at what tri triggers you on a daily basis. So, I mean, I hear people say now, oh, the classic thing is, you know, when you did this, it made me feel this way. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, I just don't, I don't buy into that theory. How I feel is entirely my responsibility. Yeah. Entirely my responsibility. Yeah. So I'm, I'm huge on, like, Sometimes nowadays I do actually have to check myself for a pulse because so very little triggers me because I have literally gone through everything and there's still one thing I know that slightly triggers me and I'm just, it's like an onion layer, I just keep 
dealing with it at different levels. And it's not like you do it once and it's gone. If it comes up a little bit again, you just deal with it again. Okay, that's really good advice because I've always wondered, well, I've I've had a good bawling session about that thing that happened to me. Does that mean I'm over it now? You know, no. <laughs> it's going to keep yeah. coming back to bite me in the ass. And when do I know that it's I've freed it and sent it on its way? <laughs> so I'd be reframing that. You know, I would never say, like, I would look at the situation with love and grace and not say, is that sucker going to come back and bite me in the ass? I'd say, if that needs to come up and I need to clear it again, may it do it gently. Okay. And I also ask things like when I go to bed, it's like, may I clear while I sleep? I don't need to know about the stuff that I'm clearing. I don't need to make stories up about it. But may my energy be cleared each and every night as I sleep. So it's being intentional about what you do yes. and, and trying to push yourself, or not push yourself, but trying to let yourself go in that right direction without forcing, without forcing. Yeah. And I suppose it's a little bit personality dependent, me being the extreme force everything type of person <laughs> it's, it, I'm liable to go and you know have a glass of wine have a big cry about something and then get up and carry on you know <laughs> so this is really fascinating though because that was me in my 20s yeah and the universe gave me so many lessons that I just didn't have a choice it was like okay you, what you're telling me now is I have to listen and I don't have a choice yep and I was a bit angry with the universe for a while I had to suppress a lot of you know get rid of a lot of that emotion it's like do you not understand? I this is how I want to be. So you know, and it's like it, that just didn't work. And I had to, I had to let go of who I thought I was yep. in order to to find grace. And in that, I have just found so many blessings. So you know, I ask the universe, like I ask the universe, what is it that I have suppressed emotions about? What is it that triggers me? And I ask for it to come to the surface, but I also ask for it to be cleared with ease and grace. Amazing, and so that's one of the major areas. So in that in this book, yep. radical uh, remission, if that was number yes. five, I think or six. Yep. So number six is increase positive emotions, which is self-explanatory. Yep. Feel really good about what you do. Um, seven is embracing embracing social support, and what I'd say about that is do that, but don't embrace every Tom, Dick, and Harry, no, and no cancer friends. <laughs> Lock down that cool group and put a bubble around you. So what you do don't you need mean? any more than five. Sorry? I, I reckon that cancer friends thing, what, explain yourself there. What, what do you mean by that? Oh, man. You, you, when you tell people you have cancer, which I didn't, but everyone heard anyway, yeah. you have these people that turn up to your door and only want to be friends because there's some sort of chaos going on. And I don't do cancer friends. It's like, see you later. <laughs> Here's you the hand. one of the ones that were genuinely, genuinely your buddies anyway. Yep regardless yes. of where you're at, whether you were succeeding in life, having troubles, whatever was going on, and they weren't going to be, oh, poor you yes. type people. Is that the sort of yes. thing that you're... Totally. I mean, you have, I believe you sort of have four, five key friends that are, that are your, you know, really good mates. And the thing is that I don't want to talk, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't even talk about it with those five. Every now and then I would, yeah. but but I didn't need to talk about it. And I sure as hell didn't want to talk about it with somebody that was just hanging off the chaos and the, the you know, yeah, I'm, that, that's adding to the drama. So none of that shit. So protect okay. yourself from the right people. Yeah, now I am totally. going to, my, back, my uh, computer, because I forgot my plug today, everybody, besides having families with chainsaws outside, I've also left the plug at home. Um, the battery's <laughs> going to run out in a minute. So we'll go, we'll go through a couple of those quick things. 
And then I want to find out where can people get hold of you. You're a speaker. You're a bloody amazing speaker. I'd like anyone who's got a conference or something out there that wants to hear an amazing, incredible, moving story to get in touch with you. Because you're um, so your website is fosterwellness.co.nz. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's but although um, let's go dub 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 diefoster.com. That's my that's my speaker's one, and you can find out all about me on there. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram because I like to hang out in those places every now and then. Yep, diefoster. Um, and so let's go back now just to those last two. Number eight is deepening your spiritual connection. So I don't care what you call it. I call it the universe, light, whatever you want. Number nine is having a strong reason for living. And one of the things that I'd say about this is one of the key things for me was realizing that I am enough to be my own reason. Absolutely. Yeah. I wake up in the morning because I want to live my life, not because I want to be here for anybody else. And even your own family it's you know you totally have to yourself you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else and you have to accept who you are in the universe which is so hard for 99 percent of us because we're told we have to be this way and look that way and act this way and and you know what it's not hard at all no it's, it's not hard at all once you let go just you know that i i believe if we let go of this falsehood of having control and and we replace it with trust, then you're when when I started trusting, I received grace and then I've had more control in my life than I've ever had. Oh, that's beautiful. But I don't need it. Because I trust. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to, to um tie it up for today. Di, you've been an absolute legend. Definitely gonna uh, you know, I'd like to have another session with you in six months time, even on here again, just to tell a little bit more of the story and also a little bit more insights i think we've got another half an hour at least of this <laughs> i'd love to <laughs> so in the meantime everybody go to diefoster.com yep, yeah check out what she's doing on instagram on facebook amazing amazing speaker an amazingly powerful woman with an amazing message and it's been an honor to have you today on the show Di. thank you so much it's been a real pleasure to meet you lisa thank you so much do you want to run faster, further, without pain and injuries? Do you want to learn how to maximize your limited training time to get the most out of yourself? If you want a PB at your next ultra marathon, or you just want to run your very first kilometer, then we can help you get there using our holistic five pillars approach. Our system includes all the pieces of the training puzzle, from strength and conditioning, to mobility workouts, to nutrition and supplementation, and a big piece of the puzzle is mindset and motivation, as well, of course, as your run sessions and your technique drills. To find out more, download our free online run training e-course at runninghotcoaching.com. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.